You know, God is always wanting to say something, isn't he? He always wants to speak to us. He, he delights in speaking to us. I found that in my few years of being on the planet, that God loves to talk to us. And um, he wants to talk to us about so often about who we really are. In fact, we've done that series on who am I or who are we. But what was in God's mind when he created you, when he stitched you together? The Bible says he put us together, he knitted us together in our mother's womb. And he knew all about us right from the very beginning. In fact, even before we were conceived, even before we were a twinkle in our daddy's eyes, God knew about us. That seems quite amazing, doesn't it, that God would, would, would know us even before all that. He knew about what his plans and his purposes were. And I'm surprised that God would go to that sort of trouble. But it says he stitched us or he knitted us together in our mother's womb. So what was in his mind when he created you? Now, if we understand this a little bit this morning, we may understand why God, why God has made us the way we are, why he's gifted us in the way he has done, and how that can really be an impact in our lives and in the lives of those around about us. The community that he has placed us in, the people that we have contact with, and the people that, uh, that, we, you know, that, that we influence so it's good to consider this just for a moment and understanding just what God has called you to do and has called you to be. You know, there's a lot of emphasis these days in finding our real selves and being true to who we are. Unfortunately, most of it leaves God out of the picture. Um, those who profess faith and those um, who once were followers and those who also have never considered God at all or life from God's perspective, have, have never considered how God wants to interact with us in this way. See, as I look at myself, I marvel at the life that God has made. Now, you might be looking back at me and saying, well, I can't see what's so fantastic. doesn't look that impressive to me. Um, I, was, um, I was talking to my granddaughter, Evie, who's six years old the other day. In fact, we were celebrating my birthday and she said, Papa, how old are you? And of course I was truthful. I told her I was 45. <laughs> and um, no, I didn't. I said, I, I told her my real age. Um, I was just middle age. And she said, man, that's old. No, she said, boy, that's old. And I said, well, actually, I feel like a teenager. And she looked at me with this puzzle in her, in her eyes. I said, yes, I feel like a teenager. I said, uh, if I could just grow my hair and change my clothes and maybe put an earring in here and, you know, and talk some good, you know, some hip language, I would, I would be a teenager, wouldn't I? Yeah. Well, she said, well, and if you took your glasses off. So I took my glasses off. And then she said, this is a very perceptive six-year-old, what about the wrinkles? <laughs> well, what about the wrinkles? How does that define me as a teenager? Having wrinkles. Apparently it's these ones around the eyes, you know, that you know. So I was thinking about this, you know. What was God had in mind? What was what did God have in mind when he was planning me? What was on that works order that went to the planning department? You know? Light on the glue for hair. Don't want to cover his face with anything. Don't want him to get proud about having this fine hair to hair. So take it off, you know, we don't need it. They can go. Smile. 
Okay, let's work with that. Needs to go from ear to ear and fill his whole face. Now, when I was a kid, they used to call me Smiley at school. Can you believe it? Hey, don't know where they got that idea from. Needs to go from ear to ear and fill his whole face. His eyes, they need to twinkle when he smiles, especially when he's about to tease or tell a joke. Right? My wife says you can always tell I'm going to tell a joke because my mouth turns up or does something funny, doesn't it, darling? Yeah, give it, give it away. Now, his eyesight. You'd think you'd need a eyesight for life, wouldn't you? Well, God figured with me that it would fade with time, so he'll need to get some glasses. Now, this will be helpful at the pools when he goes swimming. Things will be a little blurred, which will assist him in keeping a pure heart, a holy heart. It's good, isn't it? Hey, God thinks of everything. And then the other thing he needs is a good sense of humor because he can get a bit serious from time to time and he needs to learn how to laugh at himself and not take himself so seriously. Finally, or nearly finally, fill him with joy. Give him as much joy as he can possibly have. He'll need it to overcome some of life's challenges. And finally, give him the ability to learn how to fix things because he's going to go through life breaking a number of things. He's got to learn how to put them together again. You see, that's what God had on the works order when I was being put together. Not bad, eh? Didn't mention anything about his body. I mean, that's pretty good. Mentioned nothing about his stature. Mentioned nothing about his... uh, a number of other things which people have discovered are quite helpful. But that's how God had... what God had in mind when he was putting me together. So what what does God say about you? You see, if if we want to make an impact in this community... There was somehow we've got to come to grips with how God has made us together, uh, put us together. Somehow we've got to come to grips with who we really are, what we really are about. It's easy for us to form our own opinion of who we are. This can have a disastrous effect on how God can form his life in us. Moses was, was faced with this dilemma. When he confronted, was confronted by this bush that wouldn't burn, I've talked about it before, but I want to take a slightly different aspect this morning. It caught his attention because it wasn't normal. He stopped to have a look because this bush was burning, but it wasn't being consumed. What catches your attention? What stops you in your tracks? What makes you wonder about things and arrest your thoughts? The passage in Genesis 3 noted that God saw Moses' response and spoke to him out of the bush. Moses, might have been a bit deeper if, you know, if you watch TV or watch Ben Hur or something, probably Moses, no, but it was Moses, you're on holy ground, take off your shoes. Whatever opinion you form about Moses as you read the following verses about the struggles he goes through in putting all this together, one thing you can be assured of is that he was obedient. You see, God appeared to Moses to give him a promotion. He'd spent 40 years in the desert looking after his uncle Laban's sheep. Backside of the desert, wondering what it's all about, but he's got a task to do. He's caring for another man's uh, resources, 
And that was a challenge in itself. But this promotion, the one that God had selected Moses to do, at this point in time, because he happened to stop as he was passing by, because his bush was not burning, but it was, you know. This promotion was to lead the Israelites out of captivity and slavery to freedom. Now Moses protested. I'm sure you would too, because I know I certainly would. He protested, citing many examples of why his leadership or his abilities were not adequate. Number one, he was unworthy, or he felt he was unworthy. Number two, he was ignorant. Remember this man had spent 40 years in Herod's courts being trained, being lavished every bit of education he could probably have. But Moses felt unworthy. He felt ignorant. He also lacked eloquence. He says, I can't speak. I've always been hopeless at speaking. Even before you turned up today, I've been hopeless at speaking, and I'm not any better now that you've, you've spoken to me today. Can you understand? Can you, that's, that's amazing to say this to the sovereign God. We're not, talking about, we're not talking about his dad who's come to talk to him. We're talking about the God of the universe. We're talking about the one who holds this planet in his, in his hands the one who formed mankind out of the ashes, the one who, who took Moses and took him through a, uh, saved him, put him in a basket in the, in the Nile and, and saved his life when he was out. We're talking about a God who was actively involved in his life. And Moses has the audacity to say that I, I, I can't talk any better than I did before, even now that you've met me on this, on this, you know, at this time. But he's also, Moses said, he was worried about what others thought. What would they say? No? What would I have to say to them if they say, who sent you? What authority have you come on? Worried about what others would think. And I am sure that most of us would volunteer the same sort of responses to God as Moses. I know I certainly would have. See, Moses at least knew who he was. Or probably more importantly, who he wasn't. He had a a realistic view of himself. He was under no illusion as to who he was and what he had to offer. He felt he had nothing to offer. He felt he was a big L, you know, a loser. That he'd been banished for 40 years out in the desert. And these 40 years have been pretty well a waste of time. You know, he just felt that he had nothing really to bring to the table, and yet God was calling him. And I wonder whether we so often think we have got nothing to bring, nothing to offer, and yet God in his sovereignty is calling us to make an impact, to make a difference, to bring hope, to bring light, to bring something of his life into the community that we live in. Moses feared the consequences to himself, so he tried to wriggle his way out. He had an answer, possibly an excuse, to everything God had said. At this point, God poses an important question, and it's the question I want to pose to us this morning. You all know what that question was. We've all read the story many times. Moses, what's in your hand? What's in your hand? 
And I can imagine Moses' mind racing and thinking of all the things that maybe God is asking. Well, God, it's just a staff. It's just a shepherd's crook, if you must know. It's a tool I use to look after these sheep of that other crook, Uncle Laban. This crook identifies my work and status in life. It defines who I am and what I am about. I have been able to ward off enemies and predators of this piece of wood, as well as rescue and herd sheep. Do you herd sheep? Shepherds. Yes, you do herd sheep, don't you? Okay, cool. Anyway, after 40 years, I was hoping to get it upgraded to the latest model so I could take it to church on a Sunday. So you can see what Moses is going through in his mind as he's just trying to, what's in my hand? It's only a piece of wood. It's only a tool that I use. It's only ordinary, everyday bit of apparatus. There's nothing special. And God says, but what is in your hand? And Moses has to respond. God says, throw it on the ground. And Moses is obedient, throws it on the ground. Instantly it becomes a snake. Now pick it up by the tail. This is interesting, isn't it? Who owns a pussycat here? Anyone owns a cat? Many people own cats. Oh, you've got to have a cat. Do you want a black cat? I've got one. <laughs> Millie, she's free to a good home. Okay, you know a pussycat, you know that you never pick a cat up by the tail, do you? No, you grab it by the scruff of the neck. So you can throw it, no, so you grab it by the scruff of the neck. That way it can't bite or claw you. Moses knew that, you see, because in Herod's household it was full of cats. You know, cats were everywhere. You've seen it on ain't History TV, eh? History Channel. Moses knew that Herod's household was full of cats. He was surprised that God didn't know the right way to pick up snakes. But if you've never had a cat, how would you know? See, I forget that God didn't. Sorry, that's a bit. Eh? God didn't have a cat, so how would he know how to pick up snakes? Anyway, that's beside the point. He was obedient, and he did as he was told. He picked up the snake, and instantly the snake turned back into his ordinary, everyday shepherd's crook. You know, from that day on, Moses' staff became known as the rod of God or the staff of God. It became significant. It saw significant action in the hand of Moses. It initiated the plagues on Egypt. It parted the Red Sea. It produced water from a rock. It oversaw a battle. This is a a rod, an everyday, ordinary piece of wood that Moses had used for 40 years in the desert. So today, what's in your hands? We tend to devalue how God has made us and what he's put in our hands. We feel that what's in our hearts takes, pres- takes precedent over what's in our hands. What's in our heart? We often say that, don't we? What's in your heart? What, you know, what's the thing that, that fires you up, that gets you out of bed in the morning? But what's in your heart? What are you hoping for? See, what's in our heart is a romantic idea. It's exciting. It's new. And it doesn't exist except in our imagination. It's what we dream about. It's what we hope for. It's what we aspire to be or do. Now, please don't get me wrong. 
I'm not saying that these things are invalid and that they aren't from God, although some might wonder some of the things we, some of the ideas we get one day, whether we ate too much cheese one night before we went to bed. No, but God says he does give to his beloved in their sleep. He says that young men will dream dreams and people of my age will have visions. But it's, you know, but it's easier to live in this pretend world that we create, in this world of maybe, in this world of possibility, in this world of I hope so. It's easier to live in that than it is to live in the world that we face every day. When you go to work or you go to school or when you go and uh, go to a cafe or go to the supermarket or go about your everyday ordinary lives, as most of us do. It's, it's easier to think of greater things, of things that are far more romantic, so much more inspiring than the ordinary everyday life. But Moses, God said to Moses, what's in your hand? It's this everyday thing that you use. The other day, I was working late in a customer's house, about a couple of weeks ago actually. I was keen to get the job finished because it had dragged on a bit. And so I asked the lady of the house if it was all right for me to stay on. She was getting dinner ready with the kids upstairs, and so she appreciated my commitment because she really wanted what I had to give, which is cool. About 7 o'clock, Kerry rang, and I answered the phone in my normal manner. Hello, my darling. How are you doing? I answer my phone to everybody that rings. No, no, I have caller ID on my phone. It's pretty cool, isn't it? I knew it was my wife. Um, Hello, my darling. How are you doing? It was obvious I was going to be late home, so dinner was going to be in the microwave. And I thought nothing more of this conversation uh, until her husband came home, the lady, the customer's husband, came home an hour later. He walks in the door, and the first words she says to him are, not, have you had a good day, darling? You want to hear how he talks to his wife when she rings. <laughs> Not like you. What do you want? Don't you know I'm busy? You see, God says we are a fragrant aroma. Wherever we go, we are carriers of the life and grace of God. Whatever situations we find ourselves in, Whatever circumstance we walk through, and we had some fantastic words last week on those circumstances that people have spoken out or prophesied out of their, out of their experience. But whatever, whatever situation, whatever circumstance, whatever challenge besets you, the favor and the presence and the aroma of God is upon us. His peace liberally and literally fills us. So we can be in a customer's house going about our ordinary everyday life and we bring something of his nature into that situation. I was just being myself. I had started work at 7 o'clock in the morning and it was 7 o'clock at night, so I am tired. I am weary. But when my wife rings up, hello darling, how are you? That's just the way I am. I wasn't trying to be anybody else than I was. I wasn't trying to be special. I didn't know she was listening. 
all I knew, she was upstairs with the kids cooking dinner. But for some strange reason, she was listening in to this ordinary, everyday conversation. And it brought uh, some light into her situation. It illuminated something for her that she craved for. What did she want? She wanted her husband to respond that when she rang up, he would say, hello, my darling, how are you? Instead of, don't you know I'm busy, what do you want? You see, it was bringing some transformation into that situation. And God's equipped you the same to bring his light and his transformation into your situation. I've I've brought something with me today. I just want to bring it out. That's what will God, if you want me to, I'll do. Well, maybe he does or maybe he doesn't, but I'm going to show you anyway. This is my cycling jacket. It's a pretty cool jacket, actually. I like this one. I wear this when I go out on the bike at night when it's warm. And um, as you can see, it's just a, I don't know what it looks like to you, but to me it just looks like a grey jacket. It's quite cool, hey? It's quite styly, you know. It uh, makes me look really good when I'm wearing it. But when I'm riding at night time and the headlights hit it, this thing glows. It illuminates. So it doesn't look, does it, is it illuminating now? It's not illuminating now. And it just looks like a grey jacket. It looks quite ordinary, really. But when I, when I cycle at night, the headlights hit it, all of a sudden this thing just glows. The whole thing just well, you might be able to see a little bit of it doing it now, but it just totally glows. Now, the reason why is infused in its very fabric, in its very being, are tiny beads of pearlescence, things that, you know, reflect back light. And this thing just totally glows in the night so that a, 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 um, a, a, a motor vehicle driver, you know, a motorist, will see this and he knows what to aim for, you know. <laughs> and he thinks, gosh... Yeah, that's a great target. The interesting thing about this is he can't see anything else but the jacket, the glow. That's all he can see. He can't see me. He can't see how handsome I am. He can't tell whether I've got hair on the head. He can't tell any of my features. He doesn't know what color I might be. He doesn't know if I've got any deformities. He doesn't know whether I, I can walk. Well, he knows I can bike, obviously. And he hopes, and I hope that he'll know that I can bike after he's passed me. Um, hasn't knocked me into the gutter, but he, does, he doesn't see anything about me. All he sees is this jacket. All he sees is this radiating, this glorious glow, like a UFO moving down Ward Street at about five miles an hour. You know? And the beauty about this is this jacket is not radiating anything about me. It's radiating, radiating everything about what it is about its very being, about what it's made of. Do you see a little bit of a similarity to this jacket and who we are? The difference is I can take this jacket off and put it in the wardrobe, and it does, you know, it does nothing in the wardrobe. It might glow to itself, but it does nothing for anybody else. Likewise, I can't take off the, 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 I can't take off what God has done in me, what he's infused my being with, what he's made me to be, the fabric of who I am. I can't remove. It's going to radiate. It's either going to radiate good stuff or it's going to radiate stuff that's not helpful. You know, It's either going to radiate, hello, darling, how are you? Or it's going to radiate, what do you want? Don't you see I'm busy? And the, the, this same fabric, 
the same experience God says he's placed in us. The Holy Spirit is this aroma. It's this radiation that goes out from us, and it impacts every aspect of our life. So that's why you cannot be uh, anything else but different when you go into somebody's place, when you meet people, when you go to a cafe or when you go to work. You can't be anything but because God has done something in you that radiates his glory. See, they're not seeing you. They're not seeing you, who you are, even though you might be cheerful by nature. I'm a reasonably cheerful chap. You know, I don't get, out, I don't get up in the morning and say, good Lord, this morning. I say, good morning, Lord. You know, I'm a reasonably cheerful chap. I have a reasonable sense of self-worth or, you know, I can, I can tackle most things in life. I'm reasonably okay in that department. I've got a reasonable sort of head on my head. Uh, my father told me when I was young to use my head, and often I do. When I get up into roofs, I'm always banging it. And so, you know, I'm often using my head. So, but no, you know, we, we're, regardless of where we were, we have, or where we are, God has put his spirit in us that radiates his very life, his very being. I want to ask you a question, though, in regard to this, because I've been through times in life when I don't think I've radiated God's life. I think I've radiated something else. I've radiated more of me than more of God. You see, there's a, um, there is a, a, an old 17th century preacher named Charles Spurgeon. He said this thing. He said, no, it wasn't. Sorry, it was uh, John Wesley who said this. He said, I set myself on fire, and people come from miles around to watch me burn. It's Charles Spurgeon who said, on the other hand, some Christians are so dry they'd make great martyrs. You see, but I want to set myself on fire. That's why Scripture tells us in Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God that came to you with the laying on of hands. Fan it into flame. You know, stir up the gift of God. You know what a fire, you know like a fire I've discovered at home, I discovered yesterday because Kerry said to me, you like the fire, darling? It would be nice to have the fire going. I said, yes, sweetheart. Here's the, I lit the fire and I said, here's the firewood, keep it burning. And I went down about an hour later and the fire was out. You see, the natural tendency of the fire is to go out, isn't it? It's a natural tendency. You can have all the, all the intention in the world for the fire to keep burning, but the natural tendency for the fire, unless you feed it, unless you throw wood on it, unless you encourage it, it will go out. Someone said to me once before, Pete, why do you need so much encouragement? I'll tell you why I need so much encouragement. I'll tell you why. Because I need encouragement because that's fuel in my tank. Encouragement is what fires me up. Encouragement is what gets me out of my seat. Encouragement is what invigorates me. It's, what, it's that gas tank. It's what really starts the action working. And today we need to be fired up, don't we? We need to be fired up because we say that we're the answer to this world, but I, I suspect sometimes that we're more of the problem than the answer. And that's cool because God's working on us. He's refining, he's making us. You know, he started off with a bit of rough diamond and he's polishing it up and he's cutting off bits and pieces and arms and legs so that we would trust him more. 
and that we recognize that he's our source of strength and that anything that we might have of ourselves is only because he gave it to us in the first place. And God wants to liberate us afresh today. And if you feel that you've got stagnant and you've got stuck in the desert like Moses had for 40 years, you know, he should have been. The staff that he, he used to carry was a scepter. When he was in the courts of Herod, he, he, was, he was part of the family. Herod was his stepdad. You know, if you know the story, he was, he was part of royalty. And he should have carried a scepter in his hand. A, a scepter is something that talks of authority. It talks of, of power. It talks of uh, your position and your place. It talks about what you, what you have command over, what you, have, uh, uh, what you can, what you can um, speak to. And he should have had the scepter, probably a golden scepter he would have carried, but he's in the backside of the desert with a staff, with a crook. Not his uncle Laban, but with a crook, a wooden, wooden hook thing that he gets things out, you know, sheep out, <laughs> and bangs things on the head, right? And so God was showing him that this staff that he has given him now does all of those things. It gives him authority. This staff that God has given him gives him the authority that he needs to do the task that God has called him to. And God has given you authority to take hold of that which he's given you and to use wherever you find yourself, whatever circumstances you've found yourself in, whatever difficulty you've walked through, God has given you authority to take his life, his power, his word, his hope into those situations. I'm nearly ready to close. Good job. It's the um, shortest day of the year. We can go home early. In closing, I just want to focus on a couple of things. See, Peter and John understood this. I love these guys. They are going up to the temple. They're going up the temple to worship. It's one of my favorite passages in Scripture. They're going up to the temple to worship. It's, a, it's, it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and that's a time when you go to the temple. And, and, uh, and as they're going up, they came across the lame beggar. Sitting outside the temple... Outside the gate, beautiful it's called. And he's sitting there. He's been lame from birth. He knows nothing else. And people have to carry him. He's 40 years of age. So he's obviously not a little fella. He's been carried and he's placed there to beg for arms. Now, before Jenny Harris says, well, he should have been begging for legs, just uh, arms, Jenny, uh, cash, money. Oh, you understand that? Excellent, good, good. So he's being... He wants money. He needs cash. He needs something to keep going, keep him going. So uh, he's outside the temple. He's begging. Peter and John look at him intently. And they say, look at us. Silver and gold we don't have. We don't have any cash on us. But what we do have, we give you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Now, John and Peter are just doing the ordinary, everyday thing, aren't they? They are walking. Now, they're walking with purpose. They're going to, the, to worship. They, they're walking in purpose because they're going to express their love and their devotion to God. 
They're walking in that, aren't they? You know, that's part of their lives. That's part of who they are. And so they are, so here they are, they're walking. They're going about their everyday lives. They're on their, worship, on their way to worship. They minister out of who they are and what they had. They didn't have money, but what they did have was power and authority to bring healing. The lame man expected money. That would meet his immediate need. But what he really needed was far more than a few coins. You see, he was ostracized from society. He couldn't get a job. There was no social security. There was no uh, winds to help out. He couldn't even have a home. No mobility scooters, no Zimmer frames, no orthopedic contraptions, nothing to make his life easier. But more than that, more than those physical limitations, he was cut off from his community. You see, he was not allowed to go to the temple to worship. That was his community. That was his people. That's where he found connection. That's where he found meaning. That's where he found hope. That's when he, where he discovered who he was and what he was about. But he was not allowed to go there because he was deformed. The law would not allow him to go to the temple to pray. So all he could do was sit outside and watch everybody else going. Now, isn't that a tragedy? Isn't that an absolute tragedy? That the very thing he needed, the very thing that he needed that would bring wholeness and hope to his life, he was deprived of because he couldn't walk, because he had a deformity, because he had something that held him back. You know, this morning, there's nothing that holds us back today. There's not a deformity in the world that holds you back from finding and expressing everything that God is. There's not one thing in this world. I've got a few deformities on me. And in those days, I would probably be sitting outside the beautiful gate watching others walk in. I wouldn't qualify. But today, I can stand here knowing that I am made right in God's sight, not because of who I am and what I have done, not because in my natural self I qualify, but because something from on high came and took over. And today you might be sitting feeling that you're totally unqualified, you're totally inadequate, that you cannot come into God's presence, and God says, that is rubbish. All you need to do is change your focus. So Peter and John were focusing on worship, and out of that focus, they brought life and hope to this dear man. My heart weeps over him. I wonder whether Jesus walked past him. Must have done. But probably Jesus was surrounded by people, and he, he may never have seen him. But there's no crowds on this day, just Peter and John going about the ordinary, everyday lives. And the power of God enabled this dear man to get up and walk. Why was it so important? We've talked about the fact that he had been cut off from community, that he couldn't get a job, all these other things. But here it is. It's in Acts 3. We looked at, we looked at Moses in Exodus 3. Now we're looking at this man in Acts 3. X is in the old in the New Testament. Thank you. 
comes after Matthew. Here we go. X3. Here's what here's why it was so important. Taking him by the right hand, this is Peter, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. He'd never been there before. He'd been lame from birth. He couldn't go there. He wasn't allowed to. Now he go into the temple courts, walking, leaping, another version puts it, leaping. Can you imagine what it's like to leap if you've never walked? If you've never been free, if you've never been liberated? He leaped for joy and praising God. You know, that sort of thing changes communities. It changed his life. And the whole community got turned upside down. You see, Bible tells us that heaven rejoices. Heaven has a party when someone comes to the Lord. It has a, heaven has a party. Our community rejoices. And the community that we're part of around about us sees a life transformed, a life renewed, and someone who brings hope. So that when their wife rings them up, they say, Hello, darling, how are you? Isn't that cool? God's placed that hope in each one of us today. He wants to release it afresh. He wants that fire afresh to come bubbling out of you. You can go and do a whole lot of tasks and just see life as being a task. But God says, out of your innermost being, out of what I've given you, rivers of living water will flow. They will bring hope. Let's stand together, shall we? Fan into flame the gift of God that came with the laying on of hands. This morning, you might say I'm dry. I'd make a very good martyr today. I feel totally dry and bereft of anything. I don't feel like I've got anything to give. I feel like Moses in the desert. I've just got this piece of wood that I've been carrying around, and it's more of a burden than a blessing. I want to say to you today, God wants to speak into your life. He wants to bring new life. He wants to bring a fire that bubbles up inside of you. If you feel that way today, just raise your hand where you are. Just put your hand up say, God, I feel like that. I don't care if you do or you don't, but uh, maybe you just want to put your hand up in your heart. But if you do feel that way today, just raise up your hand and say, God, I want everything you've got for me because I'm dry. I'm bereft. I'm tired. I'm weary. I have just had a burden on my life, and although those words were great last week, they're not freeing me from what I've been carrying. And God wants to free you today because he knows that unless you're free, you, you, you can't go up and worship. You can't break through. And maybe you need to put a song on that will bring some freedom and liberty to your heart. So if you feel that way, just reach out to God and say, God, I want more of you today. God, I want to be re-infused. I want to to know what that power of God is like inside my very being. I'm going to pray that over you today. Father, this morning we come because we know we're empty. We know we're basically, we're bereft. We know that we're bankrupt in spirit. But your word tells us that all good things are available to your children who believe. 
And today, Lord, we reach out because we know we need to be re-infused. We know we need to be reinvigorated by your Spirit. We know that we've got nothing to bring to this society, nothing to bring to our neighbors, nothing to bring to our workplace, nothing to bring to our schools or to our, uh, to our places of influence unless you breathe on us afresh. And so we reach out to you today in Jesus' name. And we're like the, uh, we're like the, uh, the lame beggar sitting outside the gate. We can't go into worship. We can't press in. Into your, into your presence because we feel we are lame. We feel like we are, we are totally without hope. And yet, Father, you today you want to bring a new sense of purpose, a new sense of, uh, of being uh, accepted in the beloved, accepted by Jesus, accepted by the Lord of hosts, that you do smile upon us. We've heard that this morning, that you rejoice in your children, that you delight in them, you take great joy in what your children are do and what they're about. And so we receive that from you this morning afresh in your mighty and your most precious name. We pray that you anoint us again, Father, with your presence so that we can be your voice and your, uh, your purpose in this place in Jesus' precious name and for his glory. And God's wonderful people said, let it be. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Isn't God good? He's good, Bruce. He's really good. If you feel that you may need some uh, more prayer or you may need some areas that God has just touched this morning, particularly you feel that you're alone in it, it's just you, can I just, uh, can I just encourage you that it probably isn't just you? But if you just feel that way and you really feel that you just haven't connected and you want to, then there's people here. I'm available. I'm happy to pray for you. And uh, to see just God break through, maybe in a fresh and a new way, just the way you need it for you, in Jesus' name. Thanks, Bruce. Thank you, Peter. What a great word for us and a lovely prayer at the end. And as we are right at the end, I just want us to just to pause at this point and... Um, yeah, can you just ask the Lord, what is the next thing he would like you to do? You're just coming out of the prayer, out of the possibilities of all the things that Peter has said. You know, the, the main thing, you know, what is in your hand? Actually, what is in your hand um, is also the question of what have you decided to do with what is in your hand? So let's just take a minute before the Lord and think about that. What Peter has um, shared and pulled together this morning is the three parts of the Who Are We, um, a series that we're doing, which has the three main plank platforms of Jesus growing as disciples and our calling or our call to the city. Uh, and we say we see those as being most important things that we're just going to be focusing on and coming back to again and again over the course of the year, that uh, as we meet Jesus who has saved us and he is the one for whom we are to grow like and be like, and as he says, apart from me, you can do nothing anyway, um, but in him we can do mighty things. He, he's the, the main focus of all that we do. Out of that comes a little bit of what Peter said today. What is in your hand? What are the giftings you've been given? So therefore, how should you train as a disciple to grow as a disciple? Because God never wants us to stay where we are. And uh, 
just coming a wee bit out of what Jeanette shared a wee bit this morning as well, you know, have, have you decided that there isn't anything that God can do with you? Because if you have, it's not true. It's a lie. God will use us however old we are in whatever place. Moses was 80 when he started. He did another 40 years. Yeah. God never retires us. He has people that he wants you to share, wants the things that you want to do. Uh, and you know, what does it take? Just out of Peter's example of, of the man outside the temple, he couldn't go into the temple. Peter couldn't do anything except step out boldly and say, what I've got, I give you. What I have in my hand, I give to you and, uh, and go from there. Do we have a needing to step out in boldness over something to say, yes, I have got something in my hand and I'm going to have a go? Um, because that is the calling that is on our life, that we go out and we make disciples of others, we call them to Christ, we, we do what we can with them, we take what we have and go and use it. Amen? God is good. He still wants to use us. We still have the joy and the pleasure at times of being used by Don't you just love it when you've gone into a situation and say, yeah, God used me today. You know, I, I was used by him. I, 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 there aren't many pleasures that, for me that are greater than that, being used by God. Good. Okay. All right. Okay, who's going for the first 50 burgers? Who'd be a stampede for the door? Um, yeah, I see that hand. <laughs> um, yeah, that's our service today. We pray that you have a wonderful week in Christ. And please take from today what is in your hand and wrestle with that and bring it before God. And the thing is, I don't want you to go there with any guilt or condemnation. Just say to God, here I am, use me again. Yes, I haven't been. Please just use me, Lord. All right, God bless you.